Well, good morning, you guys. It's good to see you, and I do, again, happy Mother's Day. Um, I was thinking this morning when I was getting ready just how grateful I am for my mom. My mom passed away a few years ago, and I just um, think back. I wouldn't be here this morning, most likely, had it not been for her faith and her faithfulness to Jesus. I never knew my grandma, her mom, because when my mom was 19, um, my grandma passed away in a car accident. And ironically enough, coming back from talking to a group of ladies about Jesus. And I thought, wow, I, it just dawned on me this morning, like, wow, the faithfulness of grandmas, of moms, and hopefully moms. And so you moms out there, um, and I just say all of us, if you need a reason to be faithful, just be faithful for others. I, and my life is different because of her faith and what she poured into me. And so I um, just want to encourage you with that this morning. If I haven't met you before, my name is Lisa. I'm one of the pastors on staff today and all days, <laughs> but especially today. Um, yeah, they just let this stranger come up. We don't know who she is. Get her off the stage. No, but anyhow, if you've been with us for a bit, um, we have been in the book of Matthew for quite a bit, and we took a little um, detour, if you will, and had a great four-week series on work hard, rest easy. I know I gleaned a lot from it and am still chewing on much of what um, I learned. But we are back in Matthew today. So if you have your Bible with you or your flat screen device, I'd encourage you to open it up to Matthew chapter 9. Um, we are going to hunker down in the middle of that chapter in verses 18 through 26. And here we're going to find a story within a story. It's a story of a woman with a hemorrhage set inside the story of a little girl who died. Doesn't sound very exciting, does it? But these two stories are intentionally intertwined, and the two people that we're going to look at couldn't be more opposite. And yet, their commonality is what makes this story so beautiful. We will see that both of them were desperate. And in their desperation, they chose in faith to seek out Jesus. And what they got from him was way more than they could have ever imagined. Jesus entered their stories in a way that was both deeply powerful and deeply personal. I'm wondering for you guys today, maybe some of you might be in a place that you feel desperate at the end of your rope, if you will, feeling a sense of loss of hope. Maybe a loved one is really sick. Maybe you have a wayward child. Maybe your marriage is on the brink of severing. Or maybe you're in a financial situation that you've gotten in way over your head. Or maybe today you desire to be married and that person is just nowhere in sight, and you're feeling hopeless. I believe that God wants each of us to be aware today and to know that with him, that with Jesus, it's never too broken, and it's never too late. He knows your needs, and he cares. So let me pray, and let's dive in and unpack this passage together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. 
Thank you for these stories today that show us how much do you not only have power, but Lord, you personally care for each of us. Open our eyes to the love that you have and want to give us, God, and help us to be bold and courageous in bringing our needs to you in faith, trusting, God, that nothing is too great for you. And Lord, that you have our best in mind. So Lord, may you spark our hearts today. May they be open to hear exactly what you want us to hear. And may we take hold of it. And God, may it go deep. And may you encourage our heart because of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we've worked our way through the book of Matthew, we've seen time and time again the power and authority of Jesus. Not only could he heal miraculously, but remember how he, through his power over nature, calmed the seas, how he had power over the demon-possessed. All of these huge miracles were pointing to what he wanted them to understand and know to be true, which was that he was the Messiah. And today's story is no different. We're going to see Jesus' divine power and authority to heal. But I also want us to notice today his humanity, his love and his compassion for those who bring their needs to him in faith. I believe it's just important for us to see that as it is to see his ability to heal. Jesus desires for us to come to him in faith, and when we do, we will go away with much more than we could have ever anticipated. So let's dive into our passage and let's see what we can notice and what we can learn from these two individuals who put their faith in Jesus. Again, Matthew chapter 9, we're going to start with verse 18. While he was saying this, a synagogue leader came and knelt before him and said, My daughter has just died, but come, put your hand on her and she will live. Jesus got up and went with him, and so did his disciples. Just then, a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, if I only touch his cloak, I will be healed. Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed at that moment. When Jesus entered the synagogue leader's house and saw the noisy crowd and people playing pipes, he said, go away. The girl is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took the girl by the hand, and she got up. News of this spread throughout all the region. This story, you guys, I need you to know is in the book of Matthew, but it's also in the book of Mark and of Luke. And I want you to know that because as you're going to see I'm going to use Mark and Luke passages there to kind of expand on what Matthew, um, for whatever reason, chooses to leave out. As I've read um, these three Gospels over and over and comparing them, <laughs> Matthew is a very concise speaker. He's about less words. Um, it's interesting, actually, Mark uses almost three times as many verses as Matthew does, and Luke almost twice as many verses. So um, I know we're in the book of Matthew, but we're going to take a little um, detour here and there to expand on the passage as we look um, at Luke and Mark as well. 
So our passage starts out with a synagogue leader interrupting Jesus. It says in Matthew 9, 18 and 19, while he was saying this, a synagogue leader came and knelt before him and said, my daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her and she will live. Jesus got up and went with him, and so did his disciples. Well, as a synagogue leader, he was the elder in charge of the public services and the care of the facilities of the synagogue. And because of this, he was most likely a man of great reputation and wealth. We also need to know it may not have been easy for him to come to Jesus publicly and ask for help. The religious leaders, many of them were opposed to Jesus and would certainly not approve of the, nor would they think that a synagogue leader should maybe be following Jesus. Many of the things that Jesus had taught and done aroused anger in the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the scribes, some of who were probably his friend. But he was so desperate as many people are when they come to Jesus, that he would rather lose his friends, he would rather lose his reputation and save his daughter. So in order to get an even broader picture of this story, we're going to see what Luke tells us that Matthew leaves out. It says, then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of 12, was dying. So what did Matthew leave out? First of all, Matthew left out his name. His name is Jairus. It's kind of nice to be known by your name, isn't it? I like it when people call me Lisa and not hey you. So now we know his name is Jairus. And while Matthew tells us that Jairus knelt at Jesus' feet, Luke says he fell at his feet, pleading with him. There's a difference, you know, to coming maybe quietly and just kneeling, you know, like, I don't want to interrupt you but to call, come and fall at his feet and to plead with him. Jairus approached Jesus boldly. And he expanded on about his daughter. We find out that it's his only daughter. And that she was 12 years old. In that day, a 12-year-old daughter was really on the brink of adulthood, which is crazy. Can you, those of you that have 12-year-olds, 12-year-olds, adulthood? I don't think so. But back then, it was like that. So here, his daughter, who's just getting to the prime of her life, is at the point of, of what looks like death. Now, the interesting part here, actually, in Matthew, um, Jairus announced to Jesus that his daughter had died. Mark and Luke say that she is dying. And at first, I like wrestled with that. Like, how is that? Like, one says she's dead, and the other says that she's dying. Well, according to the commentators that I read, they said that since his daughter died before Jesus reached her at Jairus' home, that Matthew evidently condensed the story to present at the outset what was true before Jesus reached Jairus' house, which was that she did die. By the time that he got there, she was dead. And then it says, but come and put your hand on her and she will live. This is where Jairus declares his faith in Jesus' ability to heal. And just as Jesus got up and went with him, I love this. Jesus stopped what he was doing to attend the desperate need of Jairus. He didn't have to do that. He was busy in another conversation. But he stopped. He got up and he went with Jairus. 
He knew his need, and he cared. Then the story moves on from Jesus and Jairus to Jesus and the woman. This begins the story inside the story, the story of a desperate woman set inside the story of a desperate father. Matthew 9, 20 and 21 says, Just when the woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, she said to herself, If only I touch his cloak, I will be healed. The first thing that I noticed here was that her name wasn't given. She was just the bleeding woman. Unlike Jairus, the synagogue leader, a man of high standing in the community, she's just an anonymous unclean woman with no prestige or resources. Mark tells us that she had suffered under the care of many doctors and had spent all that she had, yet instead of getting better, she actually grew worse. Her problems had persisted for 12 years. She had been bleeding. Men, do this with your ears. Women, can you imagine bleeding nonstop for 12 years? Like how exhausted you would be? how that is. Not only was it a medical problem, but it was a spiritual and social problem as well. According to the Jewish law, her bleeding made her ceremonially unclean. It required her to separate herself from the rest of society. She can't attend the synagogue. She wouldn't be here in our worship gathering. Anything she touched, any other person, would be rendered unclean. If she was married, her husband would not be allowed to have sexual relations with her and would likely divorce her on that account. She must live as a leopard would. On the fringe of society, shut out, looking from inside to the outside. It's hard to imagine how lonely she must have felt. She was defiled, she was destitute, she was discouraged, and she was in despair. And you know, she could have had a lot of excuses as to why she wouldn't have gone to Jesus in faith. I mean, the crowd was pressing all around her. She could have convinced herself, I can't go, I'm not supposed to be near other people. She might have said, I'm not important enough to ask Jesus for help. How many of us feel that way at times? Who am I? to bring my request to God. She may have thought, he's going to Jairus's, so I won't bother him now. You ever feel like that? Well, I want to, but I don't want to bother him right now. She could have argued that nothing else had helped her, so why try again? Wow, I don't know about you guys, but that's one that hits home with me. I'm weary. I prayed for a long time. I've brought this before you time and time again. I've tried everything, and nothing's changed. Or she may have concluded it was not right to come to Jesus now as a last resort. She should have come before she had gone to the physicians. So there's all these things that are swirling in her mind as to why she maybe wouldn't have gone. However, she laid aside all the arguments and all the excuses and came by faith to Jesus. She allowed nothing to stand in her way. In an act of desperation, she determined to touch Jesus' clothing in hopes that even the smallest of contact would restore her health. So she comes up behind him, not wanting to be seen, and touches the fringe of his cloak. 
The fringe could mean just simply the hem or the border, but it can also refer to a tassel worn by Jewish men to remind them of God's commandment and to identify them as observant Jews. This is a picture of what those look like. This woman may have touched this part of Jesus' garment because she felt it was particularly sacred. She may have been a little superstitious and thought, let me get the holy part of it, you know. Or perhaps this was the best way that she could just barely touch Jesus without being seen. We don't know. This um, was such a different approach, isn't it, than what Jairus, who knelt at Jesus' feet and was pleading, she approaches Jesus, not wanting to be seen, and very timidly. Matthew 9, 22 says, Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed at that moment. Once again, Matthew's super concise in this and actually leaves out a whole section that is told in Mark and Luke. The section of how she touched his cloak and when she did, immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt that her body had been freed from suffering. I can't really even imagine what that would be like. Like immediately you feel that. Matthew also doesn't tell us that Jesus stopped after the woman touched him and asked the crowd, who touched me? Because he physically realized that power had gone out from him. Now, he didn't do this because he didn't know who touched him. Of course he knew he touched, who touched him. He did it because he knew the woman had deeper needs. What she hoped would be private in her healing, Jesus was now going to make public. It was then that the woman, seeing that she couldn't go unnoticed, came and fell at Jesus' feet and told him the whole truth, how she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. She was able to give testimony to Jesus' healing, and no doubt, many who knew her story, many who had seen her but never talked to her, saw what Jesus did and may have put their faith in him, may have followed after him because of her public healing. Jesus knew her needs and he cared. Jesus knew she needed far deeper than just physical healing. He saw her spiritual and emotional needs as well and cared enough to bring them to the surface. This public confession was for her sake. Had she stolen away in the crowd, she would have never met Jesus personally where he looked her in the eyes and spoke words of assurance and comfort to her. It is here that Jesus does see her. I wonder how long had it been since someone had truly seen her, since anyone had really looked her in the eyes. She was used to people avoiding her, passing on to the other side to protect themselves against her. But Jesus sees her. And not only does he see her, he looks her in the eyes and calls her daughter. This is the only time that Jesus calls someone daughter. Such a loving and intimate choice of words. Jesus knew just what she needed. It is here that he says, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. She would no longer be an outcast. She was freed not only physical of her physical pain, 
but also for social and emotional pain. The people around that knew that too. They watched Jesus heal her. He wanted to be for her someone even more than just a healer. He wanted to be her savior and her friend as well. He wanted her to look him in the face, to feel his tenderness, and to hear his loving words of assurance. Now, there's another key reason Jesus heals this woman publicly, and we're going to find out about it in Jairus' story as we continue on. Um, and, and actually, this part of the story, once again, in Matthew's conciseness, um, it isn't told. So I'm going to read it to you from Luke 8, verses 49 and 50. It says, while Jesus was speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, a synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid. Just believe and she will be healed. All right, it's really important that we take just a minute to hold the reality of what just happened. And imagine what it would have been like for Jairus in this moment to hear that news. Your daughter is dead. He'd gone in faith to Jesus. Jesus heard him. He got up. He was going to her house to heal her. His friends say, don't bother. Don't bother to bring the teacher. She's dead. I wonder if he felt it's too late. And rightly so. And rightly so. I wonder if he wondered, how in the world could Jesus let this happen? I've heard of how he's healed other people. I've maybe even seen it. Why not me? And if only he wouldn't have stopped to speak to that woman, maybe, maybe he would have gotten there in time to heal my daughter. How could I have been so foolish to believe in him? Jairus' heart was broken and hope seemed nearly gone. But then in verse 50, it does tell us that Jesus heard the words spoken to Jairus by his friends. And he said, this is key, do not be afraid, just believe, and she will be healed. Jesus used his words to bring comfort to Jairus, as God wants to use his words to bring comfort to our hearts in times of suffering and sorrow. But Jairus had a decision to make at this point. He could fall into despair, or he could trust and hope in Jesus' words for him. It is a choice to rest in the words of Jesus, no matter what we feel, no matter what we see, no matter what others say, and what our circumstances might be. This would not only be a test of his faith, but Jesus would use it as a means to strengthen his faith. In seeing Jesus heal this woman, he sensed Jesus could heal his daughter as well. Ah, another reason as to why she was publicly healed. So Jairus' faith could be strengthened. We're going to see that God's delays are not always God's denials. I'm going to say that again. God's delays are not always God's denials. In Matthew 9, 23 and 24, it says, When Jesus entered the synagogue leader's house and saw the noisy crowd and people playing pipes, he said, Go away. 
The girl is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. When Jesus arrives at the leader's house, the funeral is in full progress. Flutes are playing, the crowd's making a commotion. You see, custom required that at a funeral, even the poorest in Israel should hire no less than two flute players and one wailing woman. Can you imagine being the wailing woman? What a job. Um, Anyhow, the presence of mourners at that home was proof that the girl really was dead. You wouldn't invite them in. You wouldn't hire them if she wasn't dead. When Jesus told them to go away, it was because the girl was not dead but asleep. But they laughed at him because, quite frankly, they knew she was dead. I mean, if we were there, we may have been cynical as well. So I I don't want to discount them for laughing. Um, But I wonder if they were laughing also, thinking he's just going to make a fool of himself. Because that's kind of like what he's saying. It's not really true. It doesn't matter either. So you know what he does? He puts them all out. This situation was way too tender and way too special for him to allow dozens of unbelieving spectators to watch. Jairus's healing, a public figure, was going to be private. He's sensitive to the little girl's need to awaken in a quiet room. He took the parents and the three of the disciples, Peter, James, and John, with him. And together they entered the room where the little girl lay dead. Matthew 9, 25 and 26 says, After the crowd has been put out, he went in, took the girl by the hand, and she got up. News of this spread throughout all the region. Once again, Matthew's kind of concise here, so we're going to color it in with a few more things. Mark 5, 41 says, He took the girl by the hand and said to her, Talithia kum which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. I love this. Once again, this personal part of Jesus, he just doesn't touch her body and heal it by speaking. He actually looks at her and calls her little girl. What a sweet moment, not only for her, but for her parents. He cared for their daughter. And then he said the word, I say to you, because it was by his authority that, this, that her spirit actually returned to her body. You see, in Luke 8, 55, it says, her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. James 2, 26 says, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. You see, you guys, the spirit does not die. Rather, in death, the spirit of a believer leaves. It leaves the body and it goes to be with Christ. And so her spirit returned to her body. Jesus literally brought her back to life. And she stood up and Jesus told them to get her food. Once again, such a beautiful picture of Jesus' desire not to only meet her physical need to actually raise her from the dead, but also her practical need now that she was healed. Can you imagine at the point of death how weak you would be? You would need food. Um, And Jesus cared about that as well. Well, I'm going to do something today a little bit different as we wrap up these intertwined stories of Jairus and the bleeding woman. You know, it's easy to lose sight of a very real human emotion 
that is playing out in Scripture here. You know, sometimes when we read it, and they just become words on a page. But these stories really happened. There was a Jairus. There was a bleeding woman. In heaven, we'll get to know her name. But for now, she's the bleeding woman. So I want to show you a clip from the TV series, The Chosen. And it is a dramatization. And so there are a few words in what you're going to see that we don't find specifically in Scripture. But it does get to the heart of the story and helps us visually see and emotionally experience the real powerful thing that happens for us, that happens for this woman. I invite you to put yourself in her place as she experiences the compassion and love Jesus has for her. Watch. Sorry. Everybody back. I asked the question. Who touched me? Master, the crowds are pressing in all around you like this, and you're asking who touched you? They all have. Someone touched me. I felt that power went out of me. touched me come forward teacher it was me just the fringe of your garment only the edge I promise you are not unclean why my garment I'm sorry I know I should have asked but if if you touched me it would make you ritually unclean according to the law I was sick I was sick for 12 years I bled, and, and no one could stop it. But, but I believed if I could just touch a piece of your garment. <laughs> I was right. I was right. Thank you. Who told you I could heal? A man from the pool. And he was right. The blood has ceased. No one's daughter anymore. Look up. Yes, you are. Daughter. It wasn't my piece of clothing that healed you. But it was instant. I felt it right away. I know. But it wasn't this. It was your faith. Do 
Teacher, she was bleeding so long. We can take her. She is clean. My favorite line in that clip is after Jesus heals her. He gets down on his knees, eye level, and says to her, my daughter. And she says, I am no one's daughter anymore. And Jesus responds to her and says, look up. Yes, you are. I believe the same invitation he gave to the woman to look up to see his eyes of compassion and love for her is the same invitation he has for each of us to, in faith, look to him, believing that it's never too broken, it's never too late to bring to him. Now, lest you think I'm naive, I want to state the obvious. Although God can do anything, anything. He doesn't do everything. Although God can do anything, he doesn't do everything. Many of us in this room have watched someone we deeply love die. And we went to Jesus faithfully in prayer and believed that they weren't too sick, that it wasn't too late for God to heal them. Could God have healed them? Absolutely. Did he? No. Why? I don't know. But does he care? Does he know your deeper need of comfort, of peace, of hope for the future? And does he want to meet you in your sorrow? Absolutely yes. The question will be, will you let him? When we're in a situation that is desperate, we really have one or two choices. We can fall into despair. Or we can choose to put our hope and our faith in Jesus. Will you let God meet you no matter your circumstance today? Allow him to give you peace in the midst of your circumstance and no matter the outcome? It will take tremendous faith when your loved one is physically sick and isn't getting better. When the divorce papers are filed. When your 
desire for a spouse has gone unmet and there's no one on the horizon. When your desire for a child has gone unfulfilled. When your wayward child continues to go their own way. When you're in the grips of an addiction that you can't seem to shake. When you've been praying for that loved one to trust Jesus and they seem so far away. Will your faith bring you to Jesus? Will you not give up praying? Will you push those excuses aside and keep coming to Jesus in faith? You know, Jairus and the bleeding woman didn't know the outcome of their faith when they first came to Jesus. And if they hadn't come, we would have a story of a dead daughter and a bleeding woman. So no no matter how desperate your story is, your situation is this morning, whether you come boldly like Jairus or whether you come timidly like the woman, the size of your faith doesn't matter. At the invitation is to come. Because with Jesus, it truly is never too late. And it's never too broken because he knows your needs and he cares. So I'm asking you, would you bow your heads?